It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down Hey everybody, welcome back. Uh, it's American Loser, folks, okay? You thought the show was over, so did we. We didn't know what was going on. It's been a weird couple of weeks, all right? My sister decided to get married. I tested positive for COVID. It is what it is. Larry's back in Florida. My name's KP Burke. I am a stand-up comic, or at least I will be again after my two weeks of quarantine. And folks, the show is called American Loser. We're back in action. We did not give up on you. You did not give up on us. Thank you for that. With me, as always, my Delph of a dad, Lawrence Patrick. Say hello to the people. Hey, people. How are we doing here? We're all doing good. You are back in uh, the greater South Florida area, correct? The sunny climes of South Florida. Yes, yeah. yes. I hate to tell you, it's quite nice in New Jersey today. Yeah, well, I think it's a touch a touch nicer here, but uh, I'm not g- going to get into a pissing match with you here. But Fair I'll, enough. I'll, I'm happy to hear that you guys are finally getting some spring-like temperatures in the, in the month of March in good old New Jersey. It's a win. And by the way, uh, our friend of the show and friend of ours, uh, Nick Bueller, who is a very talented chef, um, he actually just stopped by and dropped off food and he dropped off food. First of all, when you get a chef that just like, Hey, I'm, I'm making all this food that part of like chefs just have to give their shit away. That's like part <laughs> of the thing. They literally, that's how they try to, um, that's their version of the art being appreciated is when someone eats it and they say, Holy shit, this is good. Uh, so Bueller thought you were up here. So he just dropped off two people's worth of meals, um, of chef Nick Bueller's cooking. So oh, I'm sorry to miss that. Yeah. Um, remember, we always say this. We don't have to correct people. Um, yeah, I'm not correcting him that you're not here. So <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> and uh, real quick, we're going to, of course, we're not here without the great people over to Shared Universe Podcast Studio, Mike and Ming, who do take great care of us. And of course, who's behind the ones and twos from the uh, uh, in the digital abstract matrix that is StreamYard? Ladies and gentlemen, the big kahuna in the building. What sort up, of. everybody? Well, in a building. I'm in my building, my home. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> How you guys doing? We're good, man. We're good. You actually sound pretty solid here, dude. So uh, I'm excited about this episode, and I want to say thank you for uh, giving us your time here on this one, dude. Um, Always, man. It's American Loser. Like, what do you expect? Like, this is this is the podcast where I'm like, American Loser's coming in. Drop everything. I'm good. <laughs> I'm You're taking there. that show, Chris. <laughs> you can't have this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, it is great, man, and we miss being in studio. But the Streamyard thing is starting to work out pretty good. And uh, that being said, I, I will just give you guys a, a little housekeeping uh, item. Uh, I did test positive for COVID twice. I am currently asymptomatic, as far as I know. I didn't give it to my father or any other loved ones that I might have been uh, in contact with. So I'm very lucky. So if there's a grateful way to get a pandemic virus, uh, that's the one I'm experiencing right now. So I'll be back out. We'll be able to be in person in studio in a couple of uh, days or end of the month, pretty much when I'm going to allow myself to venture back out. Um, so some of you did reach out, want to know where we were with the show. The first um, first attempt at doing the show was right after my sister's wedding, which was a great time. It was honestly a great time. Um, and uh, I'll just say this. The next day, I wasn't really feeling up for public speaking. 
<laughs> right? Yeah, you took care of all your public speaking the day before. Yes. The way so. Ming described it was that you had the hangover to cure all hangovers. Uh, in a weird way, yes, I did. Um, <laughs> That's right. I can't yeah. say I'll, I'll never be hungover again. I can tell you that much. <laughs> so, but it was uh, it was impressive, man. We had a great day. Uh, we love you, Carrie and Crystal. You know, it's it's official. All right, we don't have to do any more fucking weddings now either. All right, it's over. <laughs> They're in the family. It's signed, sealed, delivered. Pictures were taken, and uh, you know we can just uh, we can move forward onto the things we got to work on here. Then, unfortunately, about five days later, I apparently got exposed to COVID and uh, tested negative twice. And then uh, apparently it waits a couple of days in your system before it pops out at you um, where the test would even be able to recognize it. So I had it for three or four days unknowingly and then got tested, uh, tested positive twice within an hour. And then unfortunately I had to be exposed to uh, my, my wonderful parents uh, who were giving me a ride somewhere. And uh, it was a, it was a tense couple it, uh, shades of the typhoid Mary episode coming <laughs> back go. to us. No, dad. <laughs> That's it. Don't touch anything that he prepared. <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit of a leper colony vibe we had going on here, but uh, that's all over now, guys. And we are back on track. There will be a couple of changes we're working on format wise. There's always a bunch of things going on uh, behind the scenes for loser. Uh, we do want to put out a good show for you guys every week here. And we also don't want to ever just mail one in. You know what I mean? We don't want to just phone in and be like, whatever. It's just it, at least we're putting out content, right? So, uh, Patreon folks, your second half of Doc Holiday will be available to you before the end of the month of March. And uh, we had to do a little bit of uh, it, it sucks because you take a good movie like Tombstone and you got to figure out what's wrong with it in order to tell this guy's story. Right. And we uh, we got some good research coming on that one. And we have a great one here. And at the very end, Kahuna, I'm excited to hear your casting couch for this one, because um, if you guys don't know the segment, it's where we let uh, the Kahuna, if he was going to make a movie about the topic that we're covering, what actors he would try to work with. And I think there's a couple of big characters in this one. Is that fair to say, Dad? Yeah, there's a, more than more than a couple. Yep, absolutely. Are you sure of- that you want me to do this one? Because I feel like I peaked the last time I did this. <laughs> <laughs> I have not yet begun to peak. That is the quote. That is the great uh, uh, 17th century French uh, philosopher Christian Cordes said, uh, as I recall correctly. <laughs> Oh man, what a great philosopher too! Oh yeah, uh, I mean, great, great hair too. Yeah, the diss tracks were a little bit disconcerting, but um, yeah, that was that was that was a weird era. That was a weird era. <laughs> well, we're gonna dump into uh, jump into rather uh, this topic here today. Um, she is fascinating. Her name is. We're gonna slaughter some of the pronunciations here because it involves uh, Scandinavian last names, and that's not a strong point for us, right, Dad? No, nah, not so much. Not so much. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, we, we, could, we could make a soda bread if you like. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, uh, here on American Loser, we like to take the time to acknowledge specific months as a time to reflect or tell lesser known stories and find stuff uh, from time to time that gets jumped over in high school history classes. So obviously the, the month of February, we had a uh, Black History Month. We covered Prince Hall, who I thought was a fascinating guy. Uh, this month being March, we have to take into account, Dad, that it is in fact, and this is uh, the, probably one of the first years I'm learning of it, but March is Women's History Month. Did you know that? Absolutely. Absolutely. You knew that or you're just trying to be I, No, super, I knew that. I knew that. Whatever, dude. I mean, it, got, it gets overshadowed with uh, St. Patrick in, in our house, but uh, um, it is uh, Women's History Month, no doubt. I didn't even think of that. And then, uh, I mean, what a what a great month. Also, March, I just try to skip over March altogether. Uh, and get right to April because you have the Super Bowl that kind of caps off February. And then uh, you have, you know, um, 
it's pretty much you're just waiting for opening day of baseball after the Super Bowl for me. So that that gets to be a little bit. Uh, right. It gives you some time to read. Yeah, and March being uh, March Madness. Well, this is a uh, this is kind of a, a madness slant to it as well. Oh, Not Mad- exactly basketball, but uh, madness might be the main character here. Well, yeah. Let me tell you, March. I always like when I was much younger was always like my my least favorite month. Not because of anything that we were just talking about, because my birthday is also in April. So like this was the slowest month when I was a kid. I was just like, why does this? Why is it just not moving quick enough? Let me just skip to my birthday. Come on. That's it. Jump in. Just we had jump a, a woodshop teacher point this out to us once. He goes, uh, he goes, oh, yeah, it's like how all teachers all hate March because there's no holidays to have a day off for. And then you sit there and as a kid, you're like, oh, my God, he's right. <laughs> there is nothing coming. Come to that realization. Hard. Right. Best you can hope for is a spring break. Spring break. Spring, spring break. Wildwood. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, for Women's History Month, we're going to be telling the tale of a young Norwegian immigrant who dreamed of making a better life in America and also ending at least 11 to 15 other people's lives in the process. Yeah, and that's on the low end. Uh, estimates uh, scaled much higher than 11 to 15, but we'll, <laughs> oh. we'll get into that down the road. Well, we want to prove to everyone out there, right? It's, uh, you know, women can do anything. They can also be serial killers. And today's loser is the infamous Belle Gunness who, depending on what story you choose to believe, is still at large. All right. What? Yeah, it's uh, it, it gets pretty interesting pretty quickly here. So naturally, she would have died already, but it's a, a matter of when is the, the subject of debate still. So born in lovely Selbu, Norway in 1859. Selbu, kind of a, a cool little town here. I was trying to find some of the other notable residents. It's like almost exclusively Norwegian athletes uh, that go on to like Olympic gold medal stuff. Uh, whether it be archers or cross-country skiers or anything like that. And then also Belle Gunness. She's uh, she's definitely the headline stealer for the good people of Selbu, Norway. So time frame is 1859. So, uh, you know, obviously in America, we're pre-Civil War. It's definitely heating up here. But this uh, future femme fatale was born as, Dad, want to take a, a wild chance at getting her name correct? Brynhild. Brynhild Palstada Storset. That's not bad, dude. I mean, also that, that was that was actually quite that was quite on point. You got to say it with authority. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Larry's a little more German than he uh, admits sometimes. But uh, no, she uh, thankfully with uh, I mean, good luck finding that last name on a coffee mug at Disneyland. Right. You're not finding that one. <laughs> not too many. No, Yeah, it would suck to be a kid with that last name. And you go into Walmart <laughs> looking for the bike license plate and you're just like, fuck, they don't got it. Yeah. <laughs> or for you, it's uh, it's all the ones you're finding have a T and a Z in them. And you're like, come on, what about a D and an S, guys? Help me out here a little bit. You know how hard it is to find Kahuna? <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, she gets the, the thankful nickname of Belle. That's what she starts uh, going by. And so, again, she's born in 1859 in Norway, emigrates to the United States. She's going to get here 1881, around age 22. And uh, she's going to be a well-thought-of woman. Upon her arrival in America until 1908, uh, the legend of Belle Gunness takes place in the years in between that. So we're, we're telling the story right now, the heart of the meat of the story, if you will, 1881 to 1908. And Belle is simply a nice, sweet girl from Norway arriving in the United States and settling out into the Midwest. All right. That's all she's trying. To, now, think about that, Dad. A young, you know, 22-year-old girl from uh, a Scandinavian country, she's probably pretty easy on the eyes. Is that yes. 
Yes, and uh, hard hardworking girl uh, starts out as a uh, you know a, a servant um, servant girl kind of a thing, which was one of the few opportunities that uh, females were were given uh, at that particular time frame. So um, you know, but uh, she's got bigger aspirations, I would think, in the land of uh, opportunity here in the United States. It is hilarious, too, that they would settle out in the Midwest because, uh, I mean, you go out there and you just start seeing names like uh, uh, these names sound foreign to us, but they're super common because you forget we grew up in Jersey. So, uh, I mean, we know probably eight Angelos and maybe 30 Anthony's. Right. You know, and every girl I've ever met in my life is their, their middle name was always Marie. <laughs> yeah, okay. well, uh, Midwest, though, that's where a large uh, Scandinavian immigrant population uh, settled. Sure did. Head, head, head to Chicago. So it makes sense that they wound up out there. Um, now, it's hard to tell who's more of the I was trying to figure out what the correct grammar was for this sentence here. Who is the more worse influence on who? Because worser is not a word, as I remember being taught in elementary school. Much um, more worser. Much more worser. Who is the there worst? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, who would be a more terrible influence on who? But I'm going to go ahead and say and refer to her 1884. Keep in mind, she arrives in America in 1881. So within three years, this young little cute Norwegian girl uh, is getting married uh, to a fellow by the name of Mads Sorensen. Okay, Mads Sorensen. So I'm going to go ahead and refer to that relationship as toxic. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, that was uh, not not a real good uh, interaction between the two there that. Uh it was trouble from the start, but uh, Mads is also a Norwegian, uh, a Norwegian-born fellow. So uh, you know, there's there's some of the old the old sod uh, involvement here. So um, you know, they're within the same community, ethnic community. I like to picture America around this time frame with the immigration waves, kind of like when you go on vacation and you find someone else from New Jersey in like Jamaica or something, and then those are the people you just hang out with all the time, and you have no explanation for it. It's just this weird familiarity type thing. We're like, okay, well, at least I, I understand this culture. There's no weird uh, faux pas or strange food I got to figure out. So, and by the way, Norwegian food amongst the strangest. So, <laughs> these are people of the sea. So, um, but uh, anyway, I, worth mentioning here. So, uh, the marriage in 1884, that's actually going to be her longest relationship. Uh, so, again, it's toxic and you can't tell who's really the bad influence on who. And little is known about their marriage. The couple's married in 1884, and the marriage ends sadly in 1890, folks. All right. During the six years of presumable marital bliss, uh, the couple owned a candy store. And uh, the two of them, uh, unfortunately, what's going on over here? You being a jerk, LP? Nope. I had it on silent, but we still had a vibration uh, <laughs> pick up on the mic. Picking up those good vibrations. <laughs> well, we can't blame uh, the uh, we can't blame Eatontown traffic um, for uh, any sort of uh, honking or uh, no. ambulances <laughs> going off or anything this time. It's, it's not our fault this time. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, you're off the hook, Eatontown, this one time. So. This yeah, one but she one married one. as a, as a, a, a young woman, which really wasn't quite all that young uh, going with the uh, the timeline, if you will. I mean, she's in her 20s, so uh, she's not exactly a spinster. But uh, at the same time, there was a lot of uh, females at that time frame were uh, already married. But um, the marriage did not go real well. I mean, uh, tragedy struck early on that 
there's some speculation whether they were their own kids or um, whether they were foster children. But uh, the Sorensons had two children that died uh, while in their care. And the diagnosis of the kid's death was uh, acute colitis. Uh, and it just so happened that that uh, acute colitis was one of the things that was covered by the life insurance policy, the family's life insurance policy. So sadly, the, the children die of uh, what was deemed to be acute colitis, but uh, the insurance policy covered it. So the mom and pop uh, Sorensen um, were, were paid for the death of their children. Um, now, colitis, uh, that could also have the same symptoms as uh, poisoning. So were the kids poisoned or was it truly, um, you know, colitis is still under speculation or under suspicion. Um, but anyhow, uh, you know, it's the same, the same type of symptoms, nausea, fever, diarrhea, lower abdominal pain, cramping and that kind of stuff. So now it's just uh, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Matt Sorensen that, uh, are left uh, childless at this particular point. Well, they're, I'm going to go ahead and say that this couple is in the insurance business, uh, air quotes. Okay. So as you just pointed out, Dad, they're able to collect life insurance on two children that uh, pass away, uh, unfortunately. Always a tragedy when something like that happens. Um, now, also, the couple owned a candy store that they were the owners and operators of, and that somehow burnt down. So, uh, unfortunately, when that one burns down uh, a couple of years later, I, I mean, again, it's only a six-year marriage in total, but uh, they have two kids that die. They have a candy store that burns down, and then they have their own house that burns down. And both um, fires, if you will, are covered by insurance policies. So, they're getting money for these dead kids. There's getting, they're getting money for a burnt-down candy store. Then they get money for a burnt-down house. So, I'm going to say, again, air quotes, tongue-in-cheek moment here. They're in the insurance business. Yeah, they're folks. firm believers in insurance. There's no doubt there. Oh, yes. This, this is this is on its way to becoming a platinum-selling hip-hop album. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, – arson was the case that they gave me. Um, but it gets pretty wild, man. It's uh, both ends, like we say, they, they wind up collecting on payouts to their uh, insurance policies. And Bell – Bell Gunnis, okay, again, at the time, Bell Sorensen, married to Mads Sorensen. Bell, like most serial killers, seems to possess a, uh, a higher-than-average IQ. So she made an astute observation one day, Kahuna, about uh, her husband, her husband Mads. Mads had uh, not one but two life insurance policies. So Mads had purchased life insurance on one policy that would end on July 30th of that year. Okay, so his policy is going to expire on July 30th of that year. And his second policy that he had just taken out will take effect on that same day, July 30th, 1890. So for one solid 24-hour period, Mads would be covered under not one but two life insurance policies. So Mads was a smart guy that way. He guaranteed to avoid a lapse in coverage that way, you know. Unfortunately for Mads, Dad, uh, what a crazy circumstance. Yeah, just like that, a crazy, crazy coinky dink there that, uh, on, yeah. on, on, on that same June 30th. June 30th, 1890, uh, Mads will meet the unlucky fate of somehow dying on the only day in his entire life that he's ever been insured under multiple life insurance policies. <laughs> right. Are you picking up on a trend here, guys? I think, I think the <laughs> listeners at home are starting to figure it out. So. I mean, what are the odds that a fella considered otherwise healthy by any account would die somehow of a uh, cerebral hemorrhage? Uh, 
on the only day in his life he's covered by two separate life insurance policies. And uh, Belle's version of the story is that her poor husband, Mads, had arrived home complaining of a headache. So, Dad, what's a, a good housewife from Norway to do other than give her loving husband a dose of quinine powder and let him get some rest? Oh, sure. I mean, sit down in the easy chair. Let me get your slippers and let me fix you a little something here to ease your uh, headache pain. So, yeah, she so, mixed him up a little concoction, that uh, a little cocktail that uh, was to ease his, uh, his pain. This ought to help you out, right? <laughs> well, if you're like me and you don't know what quinine powder is, here's what I did a little research on for um, just brief perusal. So quinine comes from the bark of a tree found in South America. And in its medicinal uses, it was discovered to be very effective against cramps, useful against headaches, and in particular was used to treat malaria. A terrible side note, important to note that this is used to treat malaria. Um, malaria probably... Um, a, you know, I don't want to get into the politics uh, of it or the, the media coverage of it, but malaria probably uh, per capita more deadly of an outbreak than maybe COVID was. Uh, so if you want to treat malaria with the fear that we're currently treating COVID with, I feel like that would be appropriate. So in the 1940s, uh, drug dealers began adding quinine to their heroin in order to keep their users coming back uh, because quinine was being effectively used to treat um uh, malaria, which was having a massive outbreak at the time that had people less apt to be using heroin products. So uh, essentially what they're saying is uh, uh, try new heroin now with quinine. Do you want to do heroin but are afraid of catching malaria? Do you want to treat your malaria and listen to Alice in Chains for three days in a row? <laughs> <laughs> if you answered yes to any of these questions, support your local dope dealer and get yourself some HQ. That's right. HQ, high quality heroin with quinine. Now, with quinine. <laughs> <laughs> it is legit sad to make this reference, though, but uh, quinine is often found in even the most modern opioid uh, overdoses. That That's actually something that they'll test for, that if there's the presence of quinine in a, a person's system, typically uh, it's you know also you're going to find usually morphine or something like that, too. So uh, quinine is uh, definitely something that was probably – uh, cultivated with the best of intentions, the same way we used to uh, prescribe cocaine for toothaches, you know, um, which uh, my buddy Nate used to have a great joke about where it was just uh, you always know that it, it cures because uh, it cures the toothache because the person doesn't stop talking after they take cocaine for it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it is a, a terrible side note to, to compare it on that one. But that that's the true thing here. And this is actually the cause of death uh, for poor Mad Sorensen was a cerebral hemorrhage which is uncontrollable bleeding of the brain, okay, which can be something that would be, you can have uh, a hemorrhage of sorts from maybe being poisoned, something like that, Dad. You were kind of hinting at that earlier with the, uh, the potential kids or foster kids, however you want to look at it. Yeah, and there was some speculation with uh, Mad's death that, um, um, you know, what exactly was the cause of death? Um, but then it went back to his uh, primary physician, if you will, the guy who's had, a longer run with with Mad's uh, health issues, and uh, he kind of overruled the uh, the the other doctors to saying that yeah, this guy definitely died from uh, from that uh, brain hemorrhage, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't poison or anything. It was uh, it was you know just that that he had he had those pre existing conditions, if you will. Uh, nothing an insurance company loves more than pre existing conditions. Okay. So. Um, you can tell I just got done watching John Grisham's The Rainmaker recently, but um, 
Anyway, uh, so it's unfortunate, right? This is a terrible tragedy here. Uh, Belle just claims to have given the powder uh, to her headache-ridden husband. And as she was letting him rest, she went to check on him. The poor guy's dead. Uh, it's a terrible tragedy for Belle that no dollar amount could ever make right. But uh, $5,000 between the two life insurance policies, which in 1890 money, Kahuna, I always know you like us to do this. We adjusted it for inflation. Uh, $5,000 is paid out to her from the two policies in 1890, which today would be the equivalent of uh, over $140,000. So She making it rain. Yeah. she's My first house in Florida that I bought was uh, purchased for less than $140,000. So that could be some decent starting over money in uh, 1890 uh, Indiana for good old Bell Gunnis. Yeah, it's definitely seed money. And I found some reports too that it was more than 5,000. It was probably as much as 8,000 between the two policies together. Because remember, this guy died just on that one one day of the uh, overlap of the two insurance policies. One was going to quit on the 30th and the other one was going to start on the 30th. So there you go, double payout. Man, this chick's the worst. Um, Bell, then luckily for her, poor Bell Gunnis, she then meets the man whose name she would take with her into infamy. All right, because you always think about that. Uh, uh, guys who... Um, a, a woman who will say, I don't want to take my husband's last name. Or sometimes a guy will be upset by that because you can sit there and be like, oh, it's an honor for you to have my last name. It's a good last name. You know, this is part of this is who we are. You know, you're it's, it's part of the marriage. You know, whole shebang, if you will, is to take a last name. Uh, well, I'm sure Peter Gunnis wishes that this bitch didn't take his name with him. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she's a Sorensen up until this point because that was her first husband, Mad Sorensen. So now. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that poor Matt is no longer with us and she's, uh, you know, five to eight thousand dollars richer, um, which is large dollars for back in the day. Um, now she's uh, she's on to uh, number two. Good old Peter Gunnis is going to marry Belle in 1901, which is about 10 to 11 years after the death of her first husband, Matt. So, again, uh, most people who know Belle just consider her almost like a tragic figure. We're like, oh, she's just a good God fearing woman. You know, that kind of a thing. And uh Mads and Bell had been together for about six years before the ill-fated headache that took Mads' life, uh, again, on the day that he was insured twice over. Uh, Bell and Peter would be together for just eight short months before a terrible accident would befall Peter. Uh, sadly, Dad, Peter would be reaching up high for something on a shelf, and wouldn't you know it, the damnedest thing, uh, a meat grinder fell on him and smashed his fucking skull in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. What a horrible accident. <laughs> right? Oh, whoops, that's crazy. Whoops, slips. And even before that, though, I mean, Peter uh, had some kids um, from a previous marriage that he came into the marriage with uh, Belle. And those kids uh, died soon after they were married. So uh, once again, uh, she's not having real good luck with, uh, with, with the children uh, that come into her come come into her circle but yeah, uh, yeah. if you're listening closely guys just put your um put your ear up put your hand up to your ear rather you can actually hear in the distance uh casey anthony saying this bitch is sick <laughs> yo it's <laughs> it's intense man um so now that the meat grinder falls on peter's head out of nowhere and just smashes his skull in so yep now husband number two of bell gunnis is now dead before celebrating his first anniversary of even being married to this fucking psycho. So the death is ruled an accident and nobody suspected Belle of being anything other than a loving wife and doting mother 
to three children in LaPorte, Indiana. All right. So she's still, again, these instances are, it's a lot of tragedy befalling her, but, uh, you know, she's considered, again, like a, a God-fearing woman. You know, there's nothing really wrong with her. Uh, no one's putting two and two together. Like, hey, you ever notice anybody who gets close to that bitch dies? Um, <laughs> so the general public thought well of Bell for many years, but all that goodwill proved to be misplaced when facts will start coming to light. Uh, this opinion of her in a positive light will end abruptly on the night of April 28th, 1908. Initial impressions and newspaper coverage told the story of a horrible fire in Laporte, Indiana, uh, and they praised the memory of poor Belle Gunnis, who perished in the fire while desperately attempting to save her three children from the inferno. The remains of a woman's body and three children were found inside the farmhouse in Laporte, Indiana. All right. Uh, terrible tragedy, man. You know, a mother and her children die. I mean, that's going to that's gonna pull the heartstrings of anybody. And dying by fire, too. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not the way I want to go. I'll tell you that much. Um, the, uh, the general public thought this of Belle, uh, again, like we said, she was a pretty decent human being as far as everybody knew. And, I mean, it's sad no matter what the case may be. But the I story. Mean, people thought that about R. Kelly. So, uh, <laughs> Anything we needed to know about R. Kelly uh, was simply explained via Chappelle's show. <laughs> but, man, he, he wrote, I believe I could fly. Who would have thought? Now, he also wrote Gotham City, which everyone forgets about. Oh, yeah. yeah I, think, I think that was attached to Batman and Robin, which is a, a different kind of losing. <laughs> uh, by the way, weird side note, I don't even want to mention this at first, Dad, but uh, I kind of have to now, is that uh, people always blame religion for stuff. Uh, they'll just like, oh, well, you know, it's a, he was a religious zealot, and that's why religion, all it's ever done is bad stuff, blah, blah, blah. I just found this out recently. Fred Durst, the lead singer of Limp Biscuit, was raised as a Wiccan. What? A strong Wiccan household produced Fred Durst. So just imagine you get that boy to church a little bit more and he, you know, you might avoid Limp Biscuit altogether. Damn, it could have been so easily avoided. <laughs> I say that as a Limp Biscuit fan, closet Limp Biscuit fan. Being a Limp Biscuit fan right now, I imagine, is like being gay in New York in the uh, uh, the fifties, where you have to make sure that you're in a safe place before you're allowed to admit it. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, Bell Gunnis is dead, folks. Um, Bell's dead. Her kids are dead. The fire has consumed uh, the farmhouse in Laporte, Indiana, and the story likely would have ended there if not for the arrival of a gentleman by the name of, and this one's going to be tough, dad. Um, dad, you want to take a try again here uh, with, with your, your soup snorter uh, type? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to, I'm going to let you butcher this one. Uh, I mean, is it, uh, is it that difficult? It's pretty great. So I, here's what I'm going to say. Uh, oh. Asley or, or uh, we'll call him as, uh, Ashley or Isle Helgelin. Helgelin, yeah, I, I would yeah. go with that. Helgelin. Yeah, the last name I wasn't freaked out by. The first name is strange. The first name is A S L E, so it looks like Asley or uh, uh, Isle, depending on how you want to pronounce it. But um, Helgelian, uh, <laughs> he's Armenian. Um, <laughs> I A N. But uh, no, uh, Asley, as we'll call him, just for the ease of the show here, uh, so we don't sound like complete morons the next uh, uh, 20 minutes or so. Um, Asley is going to be, uh, he arrives, he's been searching for his brother, Andrew, who had gone missing. And uh, Asley had found correspondence between Bell Gunnis and his brother, Andrew. In the letters, 
Bell was urging Andrew to move in with her at her farmhouse in Laporte, Indiana, so they could begin a romance together, or at least physically consummate one that had been brewing in these letters, kind of like, um, you know, the, the, they swiped right on each other kind of a thing, and they're both sitting there on Bumble, and they're like, oh, maybe we should meet up sometime, you know, so. Um, yeah, this uh, just just to back you up here a little bit. Um, I mean, after husband number two dies, and she collects the insurance on that, she then moves to Laporte, and uh, she's got, you know, three kids. Um, they're not biological kids they're um, more than likely foster children or uh, adopted one of which was a girl by the name jenny olson who was one of the adopted children that uh, bell moved to laporte with and what was an interesting little side note um jenny olson um supposedly some some uh, people credit her to telling a schoolmate a classmate that mommy killed daddy by um, whomping him in the head. That's where the whole meat uh, grinder thing falling off the shelf, hitting him in the head thing. Well, she told a classmate that, you know, that that's really not what happened. Mom whacked the guy in the head. Um, but that was discredited in court because uh, Jenny Olson refused to stand up in court to say that, you know, that that's really what mom did. Um, but anyhow, now Jenny and the other two kids move with uh, with Belle to Laporte, Indiana. She's a widow twice over, and she starts putting out um, newspaper articles, not newspaper, but, but one ads kind of a thing, uh, Lonely Hearts type thing, sp- specifically to uh, Norwegian uh, language newspapers looking for you know, a life's companion or husband or whatever, however you want to think of that, you know, she's a, a somewhat wealthy widow with this great farm and uh, she's looking for a companion to uh, go through life with to help uh, ease her burden with the, with the decent farm and, and everything else. So she's putting herself out there as, uh, you know, she's fairly well off. She's not rich, but she's not scraping the bottom of the barrel either. And she's looking for somebody else to join in and with her and go through life together. So, so yeah. Andrew uh, Helgelin, he uh, DMs her to use the modern parlance. That's it. That's it. He DMs her. Uh, she says, why don't you come over? We'll do some Netflix and chill type stuff. And uh, she also tells me, hey, move here. Move in with me. Also, bring some money and don't tell a whole lot of people, all right? I'm not looking for a whole lot of publicity on this thing, but make sure you bring money so that we can start our lives together correctly. And uh, unfortunately, that this guy, Andrew, goes ahead and apparently does that. Um, now, like I said, show up, don't tell anybody, bring money. But luckily, his brother, Asley, is you know, tracking him down here, if you will. Andrew's uh, uh, Andrew himself arrives, I'm sorry, Andrew's brother. No, I'm screwing that one up. Andrew's the 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 future prospect, if you will, of Bell Gunness. Andrew will arrive uh, in Laporte, um, and then apparently the track just goes cold here. So now Andrew's brother, Asley, he's going to wind up showing up in Laporte after alerting authorities of his suspicions about something going down here on the Gunness farm. This doesn't quite sound right. Something's up here. And uh, he takes a, an inspection, if you will, of the crime scene where this fire broke out, and he's walking around with a former hired hand, and uh, Ashley finds a, uh, a soft depression in the dirt. Soft depression is what I experience uh, every January to March. Um, but uh, 
Now, soft depression in the dirt here, they're noticing that the soil's been, you know, something looks a little bit off here, like, you know, something could be buried underneath this. And sure enough, Dad, underneath said dirt, in said soft depression, they find a buried burlap sack that contains two feet, two hands, and a human head. It was Astley's brother, Andrew. Astley himself was able to identify Andrew's body, that that's how fresh in the ground he that had was been. the remains. Mm-hmm. So it turns yeah, out- let me just jump in here too. Um, Andrew comes and pays a visit. Um, Bell convinces him to uh, empty out his uh, bank account. Um, and then um, the money is sent to the local bank. Uh, Andrew and Bell go down to the bank and by the bank's suggestion and Andrew's suggestion, well, maybe you want to keep some of the money um in the bank um, for safekeeping, for safeguarding. And Bell insists, no, you know, I'll take the cash. (laughs) So she, she wipes out his, all the money that he had forwarded, takes it home with her in cash. uh, And then uh, later on, shortly thereafter, uh, Andrew goes missing. And that's, uh, that was the last we heard of, uh, once the money came out of the bank, that was the last we heard of uh, Andrew. And that's what really what drove uh, Asley to go looking for his uh, now unheard from brother. I want to know what lovers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So did these gentlemen, but uh, apparently it didn't work out for them. Yeah. Now you can't even tell how far along she strung these guys where it was just, um, I mean, it, it, it's a brutal story here, but. Uh, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, depending on how you want to say it, like if you get fooled by something, sometimes you'll feel better. Like I know as a comic, if I have a bad set and then I see someone else that I respect that I think is a good comic also have a bad set, then you can sit there and you can say, Hey, tonight it was the crowd. It wasn't us. All right. Cause I know this guy's good. If they're struggling, then I don't feel as bad about struggling. So if you get conned by Bell Gunnis, uh, at least you're not the only one. Right. So maybe that's a, a positive spin on this, but, um, yeah, and Ashley Helgeland was not the only one that uh, was conned by uh, Bell to come to her place. And, to uh, to we'll correct you, it was it was Andrew because I screwed that one up. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Andrew. Yeah. Uh, so Asley yeah. shows up. Asley, shows Asley up. is the brother looking for his brother Andrew. Correct. But, and they uh, find part of him. Right. They find <laughs> bits and pieces. Um, but was also a little interesting side note too is that her husband number two, um, Peter Gunnis. He was a butcher by trade. So, uh, you know, did Bell learn some of the, the butchering uh, handy handicraft uh, um, from from her now deceased husband? And it just took those further into life with her that, uh, you know, what's the best way of hacking up uh, heads, hands and feet? Well, you know, I learned it in the butchering trade. So, um, but yeah, and, but Andrew was not the only guy that um, fell under her her charms, if you will, that there was a number of uh, men that would pay a visit to the, the farm and never be heard from again, that, uh, you know, whereabouts unknown. Well, if organized crime movies have taught us anything, uh, the, the great guy, Richie movie snatch has one of the great lines of all time when it says, uh, be wary of anyone who keeps pigs. <laughs> because yeah. a, a pig will eat everything and they digest yeah. everything. So, um, oh my God, you're right. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> she's got, um, uh, that's the great line from Bricktop in that movie. And, uh, anyway, the, uh, there's pigs on the farmhouse property over here. And if the Sopranos taught us anything, 
uh, and Goodfellas as well. R.I.P. Frankie Carbone. Um, anyone who's got some butcher experience, uh, there's there's ways to make some things disappear, and there's ways to to get rid of some shit. Uh, and then also the the great uh, Breaking Bad uh, had the whole bathtub thing about trying to get rid of a, a dead body. That uh, you know, making sure you pay close attention to what chemicals you're using for what. All three of those things are coming into effect here, because it turns out, guys. Upon further inspection, after discovering the the remains of uh, Andrew Helgelen, uh, the entire property seems to be littered with more of these soft depressions. So authorities will find five bodies on the first day alone. Okay, five more bodies on just day one showing up. They're like, hey, what's going on with this thing? Uh, the next day, they find six more. Okay, and by some reports, they, quote, stopped counting after that. So they confirmed at least 11 bodies worth of people here. And then they stopped. More parts thereof. Parts thereof, well said. Um, As many as up to 14 bodies are found on the property here. Bell Gunnis has been busy, 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 folks. Okay. That's a very, she's, uh, uh, you talk about um, having an OnlyFans. I mean. uh, (laughs) Oh, my God, yo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, her apparent move, like we said, Dad, was to pro- uh, she would proclaim herself as a lonely widow seeking companionship, lure men, usually of a uh, Norwegian persuasion, to Laporte, murder them, and rob them of large sums of money that they would be bringing to ironically start their new lives. <laughs> um, each body was hacked up in similar fashion. Uh, so this is kind of where maybe that butcher thing comes into effect. And there's some... Uh, discrepancies here with uh, that part as well but uh, each body was found in similar fashion with the head severed the arms hacked off at the shoulder and the legs cut off at the knees so the bodies were then buried in a semi-shallow grave around various parts of the gunnest farm the body parts were smashed with a hammer okay in order to try to uh, you know essentially flatten them if you will uh, and then quicklime was used to help compost the victims beyond recognition. Uh, quicklime is uh, like, kind of like an acid. Is that fair to say, Dad? Yeah, it's it's caustic that uh, it's going to decompose the bones, which are always the most difficult to get rid of. So they're they're dumping quicklime on the victims' faces, and then in some cases, it was even found to have been stuffed into their ears, where you're trying to melt them from the inside out. So just picture um, a slow moving version of uh, the one Nazi guy, guy's head melting uh, from Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's essentially <laughs> what they're doing here. That's right. Uh, the body parts, like we said, smash with a hammer. Quicklime is being used here. What is even stranger, though, is that uh, obviously this is being done so that the victims can be uh, considered beyond recognition, make it very difficult to prove who they were. So, oh, my God, you found a body? It's crazy. You know, uh, what was even stranger, though, is that the body that was found in the fire and this is where I get a little bit excited. If we were in studio, we'd be making sure Kahuna wasn't near a window when we said this. Um, the body that was found in the fire that was thought to be Bell's is found without a head. What? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, 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 three, the three children and uh, the female form that was uh, found in the basement of the house that now burnt down. So, you know, the speculation was the three kids, they all kind of went into the basement to escape the, the flames. Um, but the, the female form was without a head and they never found the head. Um, so they couldn't totally uh, identify the female form as being Belle. Um, was it her or was it not? Uh, now, there was later speculation that 
that couldn't beat Bell because that body was too small. Bell was a uh, stocky, um, well-built female. She uh, estimates were that she was like around five nine and two hundred pounds. So she wasn't. That's so, a huge bitch. Yeah, she wasn't. She wasn't tiny, but uh, um, the form that was found in the fire's remains uh, was much smaller than what would have been Bell's. But there was some uh, dental remains that were found. A denture that was near that body without a head that was identified as Bell. So with uh, the denture and the headless body, uh, that's what it was proclaimed to be, to be Bell. But it was never really solid as to uh, that being Bell because, you know, without the head, how are you going to, you know, you, um, uh, NCIS has not <laughs> really come to a fruition just yet to be able to identify uh, um, the corpse, the remains. Well, also, and by the way, I'm allowed to say that because I am 5'9", 220 pounds. So I'm allowed to make my comment that I made here, which was clearly just a reference to a, a Deuce Bigelow, male gigolo. Um, but uh, no, it's, um, it, it is interesting to focus on this part here too, because uh, I'm not saying that one woman, that one uh you know, woman from of Norwegian descent living in Laporte, Indiana, can't necessarily pull all this off by herself. But I mean, this is a physical job. We're talking about smashing up body parts, uh, severing body parts, then digging graves and burying them. This is after you've murdered them, too. I mean, you're going to murder. I mean, you're going to get your cardio in just murdering these motherfuckers. Right. So, right. I mean, now you're talking about this is borderline a uh, a workout of the day for the CrossFit people is uh, you're working all the body parts, man. <laughs> That's right. So she um, it's presumed now. And uh, as it becomes the more and more of the story starting to come to light here, the people of Laporte, Indiana are getting horrified because they're now hearing these ridiculous. Oh, my God. I can't believe the, the murder factory that was going on over there right underneath our nose. Yeah. And this became a huge sensation. I mean, uh, people were coming from miles around to just to look upon the, the farm. I mean, they were running special trains out to uh, Laporte and then further on to the um, uh, the Gunnis uh, family farm, if you will, to see the digging going on. I mean, there was all kinds of, you know, <laughs> merch was being sold. They were selling postcards and uh, all the hotels in town were filled up with uh, the the tourists coming in here and the newspapers just went hog wild with, with all of this to, uh, to, to sell more newspapers to, uh, to to provide additional coverage on the same. And this is a, a murder. You got all the, you got all the good stuff here. You got murder. You got sex involved with uh, the you know her luring these these poor bastards into the into the fold and then uh, doing away with them. So it, it was big sensation. Big sensation. Well, I would say too, because again, sensation's a, a word that that we're gonna just put in our back pocket for a second because we're gonna use it again momentarily and you know where we're heading with this yeah. but um so the big stories of the time for magazines because this is like the golden age of print these are the circulation wars that are going on right now um so magazines are coming into uh, the fold big time here and magazines are starting to outsell newspapers that the newspapers have to run with a story that's factual and current a magazine can do special interest pieces and some of the stuff that sold the most was this idea of uh, uh, reckless, dangerous women uh, using cocaine. And we've said it before, if you, you'll never believe that this is real, but Annie Oakley was accused of being arrested for with massive amounts of cocaine 
That's right. Annie, get your gun, right? That her completely fabricated article that was ran with uh, by a certain newspaper. We won't give away uh, the, the owner and distributor's name just yet, but it was a, sens- a sensationalized story because they knew that could sell. So if you're willing to make up a story, a tabloid story about Annie Oakley doing cocaine, which is verifiably false by everyone who's ever known her. Now imagine Bell Gunnis just shows up and that's a true story. You don't even have to fabricate anything. Leave your creative writing degree at home, KP Burke, and just <laughs> just say what's going on. All right. <laughs> um, we're going to now enter a character into the story here by the name of Ray Lamphere. All right. Uh, he is Bell's hired hand around the farm. And uh, sometimes lover, on again, off again, lover kind of a thing here. And uh, he had been manipulated or maybe even just had to barely be encouraged uh, by Bell to start helping her out and carrying out her crimes where it's like, hey, listen, I'm bringing in. uh, It's an Airbnb where she murders you. That's essentially what it is. Yeah, I think I think uh, what really happened here is Leila Amphir answered one of her newspaper uh, calls to, you know, come help out with the farm kind of a thing. But un- unfortunately, he didn't have enough coin More fortunately for Ray, he didn't have enough coin to bring to the bring to the game. That's why she didn't kill him outright, but she allowed him to work as a hired hand and, you know, sometime part-time lover uh, type of thing. But, uh, you know, he was, was he, her partner in crime is another speculation, but now you've got, you know, this, female form this female body with three kids that were burnt up in this fire so we've got somebody set the house on fire and then uh somebody whacked the head off the female form so there's a murder involved so we've got arson and we've got murder and um bell had gone had fired ray shortly before the house fire and then she went into town to complain to her lawyer that, and to some of the local law enforcement that this guy, Ray Lamphere, he's a nut job. He's a whack. And, uh, you know, I'm firing him, but I'm really afraid for my life that he might, he might uh, burn me out or, or whatever, that he's very much a disgruntled employee at this point. Um, so she's, she's, portraying this uh, kind of a thing that she's in fear of her life. Uh, and then Ray is gone. He's out of the picture, supposedly. And Bell hires somebody else uh, as the hired hand type of thing. But Ray was painted as being very jealous of all these other gentlemen callers that were trying to uh, cozy up with Bell and start a new life uh, with, with Bell. Um, so, He's gone. He's not there at, at the time of the fire. But shortly after Bell complaining to the local authorities is when the house fire took place. So who's going to be one of your prime suspects is uh, Ray Lampier. He He's um, arrested and put on trial for both murder, for whacking off the head and for uh, the murder of the, of the children in the, in the fire. Um, and. You know, that's another whole sensational uh, thing going on. And then there's all kinds of newspaper coverage with with that. Um, But, yeah, he was just a hired hand that wasn't around at the time of the fire, but was arrested shortly thereafter. Well, according to Ray Lamphere, in a confession after an arrest, they got him for arson uh, for sure. Um, I don't remember what the rest of his he was. He wound up having to serve 20 something years uh, in Indiana State Prison. 
So now it's interesting because we'll cover that here in about two seconds. But um, according to Ray's confession that he made to the authorities, he claimed that, again, Bell would be placing these ads in the paper seeking companionship, then murder her new would-be husbands upon their arrival at the farmhouse after robbing them. Uh, then Ray would cut up and smash the victim's body parts, cover them with quicklime, and bury them. So, Bell is one sick bitch. Good thing she's dead, right? Well, uh, <laughs> that's where Lamphere's story gets a little bit more interesting. Ray Lamphere claims that Bell ordered him to set the fire at her farmhouse, knowing her children were inside. So I'm, I'm paying you to, uh, or I'm ordering you, I should say, to set my farmhouse on fire with my children in it so that they die. And then she also took a female murder victim with a severed head and placed their body inside the house to fake her own death. Lamphere alluded that Bell knew that Andrew's brother, Asley, would be coming to check on his brother's well-being in Laporte and that, quote, the jig was up. So Bell went full fucking psycho, faked her own death, had Ray burn down the farm, killing her own kids on purpose, which, by the way, word of the day, folks, filicide, the act of a parent killing their own child, filicide. Ooh, look at you with the vocabulary lesson today. It's, uh, hey, man, it's there for a reason. You know, we have an entire language at our disposal. We might as well learn it. So uh, The more you know. Yeah. Bum, bum, bum. I'm actually going to be upset if someone's able to use filicide uh, in a normal conversation, like use it in a sentence sometime today. Oh, did you know that uh, the practice of. <laughs> yeah, here you go. Way to ruin uh, the, you know, the coffee break at work. Yeah, while you're ordering up your Starbucks, you can drop that in. I have an order for filicide. Oh, yeah, it's funny <laughs> that you should say that. <laughs> um, but yes, filicide. Uh, so she's now, again, Ray Lamphere is saying that Bell Gunnis is. Uh, not only is she alive, but she orchestrated this entire thing because she knew you guys were coming for. Yeah, the whole speculation was that um, she was going to have Ray set fire to the house with the kids in the house with this murdered female form uh, in the basement of the house as well. And then uh, they were going to meet up later on and spend the rest of their life together with all this insurance money. But, you know, Bell realized that the jig was up that in that uh, Andrew's uh, brother was looking for him and he he had already um, wired her to say that he was he was coming. So, uh, you know, she was looking to do the skedaddle um, long before um, the brother showed up look, looking for his now deceased brother. Um, and that's that's the guy who first found the, 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 the remains. Um, but anyhow, you know, she's she's plotting this whole thing by going into town ahead of that to say that, hey, Ray Lamphere is a nut job. Um, and if, He's if, making her sound like Kaiser Soze from The Usual Suspects, for those who appreciate that <laughs> reference. She's there a mastermind here. She's definitely pulling some shit. Right, right. Um, Lamphere actually will, just because I, I want to wrap this uh, story up here, but we still got uh, one more character, technically two, that we have to introduce real quick. Um, Lamphere would die in prison during his sentence for arson within the year. So he's sentenced for like 20-something <laughs> years dies in prison. Use that mute button, Larry Burke, all right, before I come down there and start smacking you. All right? We're going to fight on here. We're going to go uh, Orange County Choppers. It's going to be a father and son fighting each other, throwing chairs. I just right? had a really good one. <laughs> Clem involved. Man, we got to teach you how to be a broadcaster. I know. So, um, but again, Lamphere is sentenced to 20-something years in Indiana State Prison. He dies within the first year. Speculation abounded that Lamphere may have been telling the truth and the murderer, or the murderess, I should say, get your pronouns right, 
Uh, Bell Gunnis might still be at large. Bell Gunnis's pronouns are uh, evil and bitch. Um, this led to some tourism of the area and also deeply troubled family members of the victims. I mean, imagine that sitting there and saying, well, now we know what happened to you know, my poor uncle or my poor cousin or, you know, uh, my brother. And he's dead. We found his, you know, what we assume might be his body because this awful, terrible woman lured him in. They started calling her the Black Widow, and she's definitely a femme fatale. Yeah, she uh, had a bunch of different nicknames. The Lady Bluebeard, the Mistress of Murder Farms. I mean, she, <laughs> she had some really good ones. But again, that's all to the to the newspaper's credit that, uh, you know, what's going to make a good headline uh, to sell more newspapers? Well, uh, enter a little bit of journalism here. A guy by the name of Walter Howey comes into the story here. He's a character in his own right, as you and I discussed uh, prior to recording here, Dad, but at this time and for the story, he is the editor of the Chicago, uh, Chicago Tribune. And enter our loser reception. Uh, that paper is a William Randolph Hearst paper. That this guy has been deeply embedded. His entire journalism career uh, has been essentially uh, joined at the hip to William Randolph Hearst and uh, his quote yellow journalism. So right, and, if, and whatever the story. Uh you know they're, they're gonna they're gonna sell newspapers by whatever the story. You don't you know it doesn't have to be the truth. Just make it make it a good story. You provide but, the pictures. I'll provide the war. Who gave the Annie Oakley cocaine story out of nowhere? These are all William Randolph Hearst things. Uh, uh, what was it? Uh, the, the whole marijuana thing uh, it ties back to William Randolph Hearst. That uh, they started. It, it was the hemp trade because hemp was going to be something they were going to use to print papers on. So Hearst started putting out sensationalized, uh, over the top stories about uh, terrible crimes being committed uh, by marijuana users in order to get uh, the, the government to step up and do something about the hemp problem in America. <laughs> yeah, so Walter Howey, who is the city editor for the Chicago Tribune, is, is William Randolph Hearst, one of his, one of his cronies. He's tight. He's tight with William Randolph. And again, how tight, Dad? Hearst, Hearst had how tight, Dad? Think about how it. Tight, very tight in, to the point where uh, Walter Howey's son, um, takes on the initials of uh, um, W.R. Howie to be more in line with W.R. Hearst, William Randolph Hearst, and also to the point where William Randolph Hearst is the godfather to Walter Howie's son. So these two are in that's, cahoots that's for sure. That's pretty tight. That's yeah. pretty tight. And Walter Howie himself is, he's a real character in his own right. Um, years later, there's a, a play that's written that became very popular and titled The Front Page. And um, that has to do with newspaper men covering the uh, execution of a, of a, uh, a murderer. And uh, the, the editor within the play is very much uh, in line with uh, the real life Walter Howey. Um, and, and really that, that play, The Front Page, became like the stereotypical uh, newspaper guys, you know, hard drinking, hard boiled, uh, um, carousing guys that were just there to get the story, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, but that image or that stereotype went on for, for years later into the thirties, forties, fifties, right up to, to today, but a uh, little, little different thing. But um, yeah, Walter Howey sends a guy by the name of, Edward Beckley. Uh, I'm not done talking about Howie just yet. Oh, gotta, okay. All right, all right. All right. I got to give you two uh, two little weird details here. They're they're literally a one liner a piece. But um, Howie had a reputation for getting drunk at work and passing out on his desk, as you kind of alluded to. And uh, 
they had a, a thing known as a copy spike that um, I guess it would be like just a giant um, nail facing upwards that I guess you'd be putting uh, right. paper or copy on or something. And so uh, the rumor was that Howie had a glass eye because he had this, I, I would say almost a tradition, if you will, of passing out drunk at work and dropping his head on his desk. And apparently one time he impaled his own eye on a copy spike. So, and they said that the glass eye was noticeable. Critics of Howie said the glass eye was noticeable because uh, that was the warm one saying that, <laughs> that this guy's right. other eye was just such a shark, like a real piece of shit. You could just tell you were dealing with the devil incarnate. Dead um, eyes. Man's got dead eyes. Like a doll's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so Howie does, uh, we're, we're going to enter the final character here for the story as we're wrapping this bad boy up. Uh, Howie will dispatch. Uh, another famous journalist in his own right, Ed Beckley. He's going to uh, send him off to uh, on a, a, a semi-secret mission. Uh, how as succinctly as possible, Dad, just so we can mention the uh, as we're wrapping this one up and landing the plane here. Um, what is his secret mission that Ed Beckley is now being dispatched by the Chicago, uh, the Chicago Tribune to accomplish? Well, he's going after supposedly Ray Lampier while he's in prison. He's he's tried with uh, arson and they never were able to pin the murder rap on him because the body was never identified, uh, you know, because it's a headless body. But Ray is in prison serving for the arson of the of the house, setting fire to the house. Uh, he then calls for um, one of the local um, ministers um to give his confession as to truly what happened um, within that whole uh, Belginus uh, type thing. So he calls for a Reverend Shell to uh, record Lamphere's verbal confession. Reverend Shell writes it all down on paper and had um, Ray sign it. So it's, you know, the best thing for the time. It's not a tape recording, but it's a, it's a signed confession uh, as to what exactly happened out at the farm um, with the various uh, body parts being found. Um, and then um, the newspaper guy, Edward Beckley, was going after Shell to find out what exactly this confession was. But there was a lot of uh, back and forth with that because uh, the good reverend didn't want to reveal the confession because it's it's kind of like a sacred and privileged communication that, that he had with his minister. So he's not, even though Rain, uh, attorney Rain client Lam privilege, doctor, patient, confidentiality, sacred privilege communication. And Ray has now died. He died of TB while in prison after serving like a one year, uh, prison term of 20 years. So he's dead. So, Again, we're still trying to ramp this thing up by selling newspapers. So Ed Beckley is going after this guy's confession. Uh, and, you know, the, the reverend is really not looking to reveal that information because uh, the rest of the church fathers are going to look down upon him uh, mis misplacing the, the trust of uh, somebody's, you know, deathbed confession, if you will. Yeah, it's not a it, it's a weird spot to be in here. But uh, again, he does have this meeting with him. And uh, I believe he's uh, uh, the Reverend Beckley He's a Methodist uh, reverend. And he's also the head of uh, Wesleyan, I want to say. Yeah, he's now gone on to uh, become president of Wesleyan University. Um, so, you know, he's a uh, he's not just some local uh, minister. He's he's got some he's got some street cred. Um, 
and again, he's torn that he doesn't want to um, misplace the uh, the sacred privilege communication, but at the same time, he wants to bring some comfort to the to the victims' uh, families uh, as to what exactly happened with uh, yeah. And, and Beckley's an interesting character too, because Beckley's then is also you know I'm sure that it had to come up in a conversation where it's like, well, if you didn't want to ever have to get asked this question, why did you make Ray Lamphere sign his own confession? So that right. one gets to be, why produce evidence that you would then, and then be shocked that people would want you to uh, share it. You know, and again, all these newspaper reporters are looking to be the, to have the big scoop story. So this is why uh, Ed Beckley is sent by Walter Howie, the city editor, um, to do this uh, on, a, on a secret basis type of thing so that they can scoop all the other, all the other newspapers that, uh, and who's the, who's the guy large and in charge out of all of these nationwide newspapers is William Randolph Hearst. So now uh, eventually uh, the Reverend Beckley, I'm sorry, not Reverend Beckley, Reverend Schnell decides to give uh, Beckley, the journalist, the letter. And he goes, I'm going to allow you to have this here. And Reverend Schnell's wife goes fucking ballistic and says, this would never go with the church. This is going to be a huge problem for us. Um, and winds up sending Beckley back without anything in hand. Uh, a couple of maybe days or weeks go by. I'm not sure exactly the timeline on this one, but Beckley's eventually invited back over to Wesleyan by the Reverend himself, who then says, listen, I'm going to give you this because we want to ease the burden of, uh, I mean, the, the newspapers are running wild with this story that Bell Gunnis is still out there. There are victims' families that deserve to know the truth here that we now find in Ray Lamphere's signed confession that I am the only possessor of. Uh, so I'm going to give you this along with a letter from me that is to be printed uh, in the same exact time, uh, you know, literally has to be in the same copy edition of whatever paper you're going to uh, submit this to. The letter explains why I have decided to give this confession out. So it's it's him explaining everything, giving some context to it. And they wind up running with it. And this becomes Beckley's a made man after this. He is one of when you go onto his Wikipedia page, there's a whole dedicated chapter just to this Ray Lamphere confession that he's able to get his hands on. So uh, in this confession that is now being printed here. Uh, signed and all. Again, uh, this concept that the Black Widow is still out there. Um, in Lamphere's confession, he admitted that he murdered Bell. So that is not, she's not out there, guys. I killed the bitch, all right? Um, and her children, I murdered her children with an axe and her. Then I burned their bodies with kerosene and then burned the house around them. In this confession, Ray admits his role in the other murders mostly his disposal of the victim's bodies after Bell had gotten done with them. Uh, and Bell was now officially pronounced dead. Okay, so now you can, the families can rest at ease knowing that the person, the Black Widow is not out there still, that the, the person who murdered their, their loved ones uh, has also met uh, a fate maybe, maybe almost too good for her after what she was doing to these people. But unfortunately, because there's a sensationalism and people want their 15 minutes of fame, all you have to do is put on Jerry Springer for about five to eight minutes. And you'll realize that people will swear to absolute absurdity um, in order to get themselves on camera for a little bit. So what better way to draw a little bit of attention to yourself than to claim to have seen Bell Gunnis in Chicago? Bell Gunnis sightings are reported for the next couple of years after her pronunciation is dead. All right. And uh, her actual fate technically remains unknown. Uh, I mean, was that her headless corpse found in the ashes of her murder den? Or did Belle fake her own death, murder her children, and escape to live out her days as the Black Widow of Laporte, even right. though her, her lover Ray Lamphere could never join her because he died in prison, as you said, Dad. Um, is this woman still out there? 
Yeah, and what was Ray's final uh, um, tribute to her to tr help cover her tracks is to sign this confession, if you will, to, to take the heat off her. They're not going to be looking for her if if the uh, supposed murderer of uh, Bell has already confessed to it. But uh, yeah, there's sightings of of Bell all over the place, not just Chicago. Uh, and there was one that I found real interesting that there was uh, a woman. It now in California, a couple of years later, who was accused of killing her husband, who had the same, it was the same MO as what Bell used to pull off. And she had the same uh, body size, uh, you know, same physical descriptions as Bell. And there was even some uh, facial resemblance, if you will, that uh, attributed to her that, uh, you know, it, did, did she escape and get away and just continue on later on in California with husband number who, who knows how many, but uh, uh, yeah, there, there's never really been con conclusive evidence brought forth that the body that they found in the basement of the Laporte farm home was, uh, was Bell. But, Not a bad Robert Stack impression there, Mr. Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, so that is as far as we're aware, unless some new evidence comes to light soon, that is going to be uh, uh, the end of that particular story here. Right now, oh. we're going to hand it over to the Kahuna for a very creepy, spooky um, casting couch. All right, man. So the vibe that I'm going with for this is I want this as like Tim Burton to direct and write it. So creepy, kooky type, type movie. But still dark. But I want there to be hints of little odd comedy through that. You know what I'm trying to go for? Like that almost Adams family esque vibe. Little Sweeney Todd action. Yeah, maybe. a little Sweeney Todd action. So here's my casting. For Belle Guinness, I'm going with Bryce Dallas Howard. I like it. I thought you were gonna go hell in a bottom carter, but here we are, surprisingly. Well they're they they do not really work together no more, uh obvious reasons, but it's all good. So for Mad Sorensen I went with Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen, who was in, who's currently in Prodigal Son, who he was also in Good Omens on Amazon. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know him. He's a phenomenal actor. Now, Peter Peter Gunnis, I for whatever reason, I thought it'd be hilarious to do this, where like Peter is just such a small note in the story that I was like, okay, ludicrous cameo time. Not even <laughs> in the not even in the rest of the movie. So Peter is going to be played by Seth Rogen. Just in a quick, <laughs> no nonsense cameo. <laughs> and oh, I, then, th I thought you were casting Ludacris as Peter Gunnis, and I just pictured. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, he does act if he wants to, sure. But I'm going with Seth Rogen for that, just as like a quick one scene cameo, as like as like a cliff note in Bell's story. And then for. Uh, for the, I can't say the last fucking name. Al Helgelin. Al Helgelin. For his, for the brother that was looking for Andrew, I went with an actor named Jesse Plemons. The, and Jess, Jesse Plemons. Name. Jesse Plemons was in a movie called Game Night. He was also in an episode of uh, of Black Mirror. But here's the joke of what I did. So Jesse Plemons, if you look at him. A lot of people say he kind of looks like Matt Damon a little bit. So 
what I did was I cast Matt Damon as Andrew in another brief cameo. <laughs> <laughs> and then for oh, yeah. good old Ray, good old Ray, I'm not going to even say his last fucking name because I don't like butcher and shit. Lampy. For Ray, because they all, one. that was, I still don't like saying it because I don't like to butcher names regardless. But for Ray, I went with John uh, with uh, Johnny Depp, good old Tim Burton mainstay. So Hard this is my this is my this is what I got so far. I didn't cast for the the news aspect of it because there were so many players in that. It seemed like I was looking more into it, and I was just like, "Oh wait, I got to cast that that that." Like it becomes kind of a crazier movie. <laughs> so that's my main cast in this little kooky Tim Burton movie. I dig it, and I would see it, and I look forward to uh, whatever songs Cahoon is going to unfortunately have to come up with to make this project a reality. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, the Danny Elfman score is going to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, Lawrence Patrick, got anything you want to say to the listeners at home? Yeah, we got to get we got to put Babe in the pig pen to be uh, chomping on the, the body parts. <laughs> oh, no, that was going to be a Miss Piggy cameo. Oh, Miss Piggy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that'll work. She'll eat anything. <laughs> if, actually, not. Not for nothing, if you guys did um, a, if this was Muppets, Bell Gunnis. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, man, that would be pretty fun. It's a. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, man. No, yeah, I can like, see Miss Piggy. I can see Miss Piggy doing the karate chop on the, on the guy with the, with the cleaver. Yeah. It's a, here comes the meat grinder. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh my man. god. No, this is perfect. Uh anything else you want to say to the good folks at home, LP? No, just good to be back with you guys and uh stay healthy and be safe. Likewise. The uh the, the feeling is mutual, guys. Thank you so much for continuing to support the show. We love you. We got some uh, a couple of things we're working on like I said. I always say that, but it's because I can't actually say some of the shit that we're working on. It's not that I don't want to I'm not trying to be uh, uh, obtuse intentionally. KP but, wants to be a blabbermouth, people, but we're trying to keep secrets so we could surprise you. It's yes. A, I, I wish that that wasn't 100% accurate, yet here we are. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, we love doing the show. We love having uh, – it, it feels good. This is as good as it can feel as being in studio. It's uh, it, it's like a um, – it's a light version of your favorite beer, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but uh, so we're, we're making the thing work here. Streamer, thank you to Mike and Mingo over shared your podcast. Do you thank you to listeners of the show? Like I said, if you're on our Patreon folks, which again, is just five bucks a month. All right. We do. You get a whole access to all of our back catalog. Uh, we are approaching the one year anniversary of the founding losers. Uh, and there's something that has to be sent out to them pretty soon here. Dad, um, we're allowed to say what it is. We had some patches made for you guys. All right. Uh, as you know, my father was my scoutmaster as a kid. I am an Eagle Scout. As much as the Boy Scouts of America continue to ask me not to endorse that, um, but uh, we the big thing with uh, amongst scouting and amongst the uh, outlaw motorcycle gangs, one of the things that they have in common is patches. And uh, we had some American Loser patches made up, and we'll be sending those out to the members of the Founding Losers. That's uh, just a, a, a thank you from us to you for sticking with us throughout this whole thing. Uh, the whole reason we made the Patreon, I don't turn up. I mean, I turn a, a very small profit on it. I mean, it is, uh, it's less than the minimum wage. I'll put it that way. Um, Probably one cup of big, uh, cold, cold brew coffee from Dunkin' Donuts, right? That's about the profit margin. Essentially. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what, I could join my own Patreon. That's how much profit we make after expenses are taken out for there you um, go. the use of the studio here. But the kahuna ain't cheap folks. All right. You want to run with the big dogs? You got to pay the big bucks. And thanks to you guys, we've been able to do that for the better part of a year now. So uh, 
I cannot thank you guys enough. It means a lot to us. Check me out over at KP Burke uh, Sucks on Instagram, American Loser Podcast at Instagram, KP Burke over on Facebook. I'm still writing jokes. I had to cancel a couple of shows here. Really, really bummed me out. I was going to be working with um, Jay Muse uh, of Jay and Silent Bob and uh, Ming and I think Zapsic we're going to talk about coming up there. We were trying to get the Kuna out to come hang with us. And then I got exposed to COVID, guys. And it's a good thing that I made the decision not to do the show because um, I wound up testing positive just a couple of days uh, prior to it. So the exposure happened and I was being uh, careful and canceled the shows, which I really didn't want to do. I felt like a giant jerk for even doing it. And then uh, to, to test positive a couple of days later, I'm not saying I felt good about it, but it made me realize I made the right decision. So thank you to everybody who's reached out on that one here. LP, you take care of yourself down in South Florida, my friend. All right. We'll, we'll do our best, KP. Thank you again to Chef Nick Bueller for dropping off uh, tons of servings of food. So I'm going to get even fatter. And uh, of course, thank you to the Kahuna for uh, sitting in with us, brother. It, it's good to hear your voice. Always, man. Always. You guys are awesome, and uh, thank you again so much. That was Bell Gunnis, American Loser. An American Loser, the day I was born. An American Loser, the day I was born. An American Loser, the day I was born.